Welcome to Limitless, how to crush it in commercial real estate. The show that gets you inside access to how some of retail real estate's most successful leaders went from your average Joe Schmo to the CEO. I'm your host, Aaron Zucker. Hey everyone, before we get started, I wanted to take a quick second to thank the guys at CM for making this podcast happen. They've brought Limitless from an idea to making it a reality, and I can't thank them enough for support along the way. If you're looking to get going on your own content creation journey or need help with your marketing, I'd strongly encourage you to reach out to them at kazcm.com. Today's guest is, let's call it unique, to say the least. Jay Ciano, the CEO of Sabre Real Estate Advisors, brings an unapologetically honest approach to everything he does in life. His strong-willed mindset coupled with his incredible work ethic has yielded to him running one of the strongest boutique retail real estate brokerage firms in the country. Full disclosure, My buddy Jay doesn't hold anything back in anything he says or does. So make sure you have your earbuds in for this one and enjoy it. The one and only, certainly within our business, Jay Ciano, appreciate you joining Limitless. Say what's up to the millions of listeners out there as you take a selfie, which is not surprising (laughs) whatsoever. This is video, man. This is video. We got to get it from all angles here. Hey, do what you got to do, man. What's happening, people? So Jay, just to the limitless listeners who don't know Jay at all, this is the most Jay thing ever to make sure that he hijacks his own introduction to make sure that he gets into social media content, which will be a pretty critical component of the discussion today. So what's up, Jay? How you doing? What's going on, man? Thank you for having me. Long overdue to make this happen. So I do appreciate you being patient and sorry to hijack your intro there. It was still phenomenal. Great job on it. And I'm excited to meet your listeners. Cool. So Let's just dive right into your backstory, right? Before there was this crazy thing called Instagram, back when you were a little guy, where did you grow up? What was your family like from? You know, sure. Where, how, what? Yeah. Absolutely. So I grew up in Huntington, Long Island, not far from where I am right now, and had a very, I would say, kind of traditional, amazing American family upbringing. My family was in the car business, a long line of automobile dealers on my mother's side. My father was a Vietnam vet in the Marines, and he went into the car business as a result of marrying my mother. And I had that kind of amazing family dynamic, one sister, the dog, the kind of like perfect childhood. Are you older or younger than your sister? I'm five years younger. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So Mr. Maria with Ulta, who I had earlier on in the season when hopefully you guys will get a chance to listen to that episode too. I don't know if it was on record or off. I don't know if you guys will get to hear, but she always talks to me about how the younger sibling is always the, the life of the party, the schmoozer, the connector. And it's not shocking given what you've turned out to, to, to be. Oh, it's funny because my sister and I are very different. And I have two boys, eight and five, and they're very different. So it's, there's definitely the dynamic between the older and the younger, but I think that there's also like just DNA and astrology and you know experience based on how you came into this world, and I think a lot of that is beyond what place you fall into in your in your family. But sure. there's definitely that dynamic as well. Sure. So your dad is a military guy. Yeah. There must have been some structure and discipline in your household, and I would imagine. Yeah, man. It was. It wasn't much fun. He was very structured and disciplined, but quite honestly, he worked all the time. So he wasn't really around that much. Sure. Um, Mom too, I would imagine, if she was in the car business. 
No, my mom's family. So my mom was a stay-at-home mom, president of the PTA, like super involved in all my sports. She really played the role of mother and father based on the amount of time that my father was at work for the most part. You know, that, that he was around for week, primarily, obviously, nights and, and weekends. Did your grandparents own the car dealership? Yeah, so my grandfather actually brought the Volkswagen to the United States. So he was a very successful automobile person. You know, super interesting. I never actually talk about that. So it's a, a fun little tidbit that uh, most people wouldn't know. And I was assumed that I'd be going into the car business my whole life. I was selling cars by the age of 11. Grew up in the dealerships with doing every possible little job here and there from filing to detailing cars to learning more about cars. I'm, I like cars as a result of you know growing at, up in that dynamic. But I've always been my own person. So I've always kind of gravitated to things that just intrigued me like motorcycles. I actually got my father into motorcycles, like tattoos. I actually got my father into tattoos. He got his first tattoo with me. So I've always marched to the beat of my own drum. Yep. And the limited exposure that I've had to you, I would definitely have agreed with that sense. <laughs> so you grew up in the car business. I could totally see you now, a little, and especially because I follow you and I see your son. So it's like a little guy like looking like those two coming out and be like, oh, you got to buy this Volkswagen. This jet is unbelievable. Yeah. Making moves happen. I love that. Yeah. So my dad was owned a Toyota dealership. So it was a Camry more than a Jetta. But yes. But you yes. sold the shit out of that too, I bet. I sold the shit out of Camrys. And it was interesting because Toyotas really sell themselves. They're great cars. They they are great cars. I think they're the best car out there until Tesla kind of just surpassed all other manufacturers. But yeah, so I mean, it was was a very interesting way to, to learn business at a young age. And beyond learning business, learning sales, right? So looking back on it, it was very intimidating to be in a car dealership as a kid, having to field ups, somebody coming in and your turn, you basically had a a turn in line when a customer would come in type thing. And that was a very scary experience to me. So I never knew if I was kind of cut out for the sales world, but I was also obviously super young. So I, I learned it, sold cars with the assistance of other people, obviously. And from there, I started to really enjoy that feeling. And and honestly, for me, what was different is I grew up in an environment full of assholes that were just trying to sell a car, like any car they could possibly sell to any person that walked onto the lot, sort of speak, yeah. which is why I personally never wanted to go into that world because in New York, the automobile business is so cutthroat. And it's, oh, I can only imagine. You can make a movie. It would be an amazing movie about just that world especially where I'm from. And you know, I could tell you stories for days, but it was never the path for me. And actually fast forward to my mom, unfortunately got cancer when I was in college. And after I, my last year of college, I was home for a break and I went to Arizona. So from New York, very far and came back. And, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I'm sitting at my kitchen table with him. And he said, you need to make the decision now whether you're going to finish college or come back and I'll teach you the business while I still have the energy to teach you the business because I'm planning on getting out of the business in the near future. Like I have maybe two years left in me. So you have to come out now if you want to go into the business. 
And without even really thinking about it, I said, you know what, dad, I appreciate that. And this is your business, not mine. You need to do with it what you see fit, but I'm not going to leave Arizona to go into the business now. I need to finish this chapter of my life. My mom ended up passing, unfortunately, right after I graduated. And he ended up selling the businesses. And although I I obviously didn't think through my decision so well because I had no idea what I was going to do and had just lost my mother and needed to figure that out at that point. Sure. And your regrets on not getting into the car business? I don't regret it at all. I sometimes regret not taking the easy way out. Sure. It's okay. But why would I ever do that? No. <laughs> you don't make it to the pinnacle of your life by making it on the limit. How to crush it in commercial real estate. Well, second best podcast behind yours by taking the easy way out. I get it. It's funny because when you're still very young and you're making those life decisions, I wouldn't change anything that I've ever done and any decision that I've made because I created a lifestyle. And that's to me what Saber is. I've created, I've been able to put my own fingerprint on our industry. And that's why I get up in the morning. I'm uh, fortunately 20 years in business now in commercial real estate. I'm so grateful that I've been able to create something where I can honestly say I look forward every single day to get up and just get after it because not only you know have I created a culture that I thrive in, but I'm surrounded by like-minded people that I really enjoy being around. So for me, like the fact that I, you know, that I relocated for the month of June with my family, if I had a car dealership, I'm not relocating anywhere for a month. And maybe from your house to your car dealership, but not anywhere else. Exactly. So I've created the lifestyle that I always wanted. And it hasn't been easy, but nothing good in life is easy and nothing easy in life is good. So So other than the brief mention about you going to Arizona, we've not talked about something that most people would consider a pretty component of their childhood school. Yeah. How were you as a student growing up? I was very good. Never really applied myself completely, but everything came to me very easily. That's good. And why do you think that is? I guess that I'm blessed with some intelligence. The bottom line is that I have a knack for figuring things out. And I'm blessed to have both book smarts and street smarts because I've had challenges in my life, which I obviously mentioned. And I've had major setbacks. Dealing with the loss of your mother in your early 20s is not something that's easy or anybody could plan for. So in school, I had the support system of amazing parents, quite honestly, that, and more specifically, an amazing mother that told me I could do anything, be anything, and you know, really encouraged me to work hard, study, and, and be involved in, in as much things as I possibly can. So I've always... If I understand the objective of like what the test is going to be and I spend like less than an hour preparing for it, I'm going to get at least an A or a B type thing. That's an if amazing, I, that's an amazing yeah, quality. I wish I had that. You know what? And that's how I got through college because I, I don't think I went to class in Arizona. I couldn't tell you maybe on two hands how many times I went to class, to be honest. And so your parents loved hearing that. Oh, they were well aware, man. They knew what they were raising. I'm not normal and I'm definitely not ordinary. And I take pride in that. In my commercial real estate career, I've had to conform in the, in the earlier stages of my career to put on that suit and tie and be somebody that I'm not because I think you kind of have to create a certain level of credibility and success and track record 
in a monkey suit for the most part, especially 20 years ago, right? We're not talking about it's not today. Today's a lot different world. But 20 years ago, you had to do certain things in order to get to a place that you could actually operate the way that you want to. And I feel like I've even blossomed more in the last five years. So 15 years in, I got to the point five years into Sabre being a thing, I got to the point where I was just like, you know what, I'm, I'm done being the J at work, J at home, J after I drop off the client from my site tour, J out at night having a good time partying with his buddies. I just actually just broke those walls down and just on myself, like it, love it, or not like it, I'm cool with it because I'm at a point where I know that I'm very good at what I do. And I only want to work with folks that A, value that and are quite honestly worth my time at this stage because all you have is 24 hours in a day and you can't please everybody or work on everything or got to be very selective at this stage of your life to really put your time and energy where you want to and with the people that you actually enjoy working with. Sure. Which I can appreciate. I want to get more to that side of it soon. But there's certainly a disconnect for purposes of telling your story. You you went to Arizona. You didn't go to class. I assume you were having fun a lot. Dude, I mean, if anybody's watching this that went to Arizona, they're laughing. And if anybody's watching this that didn't go to Arizona, you missed out. Worst decision of your life, whoever's watching and did not go to Arizona or whatever, similar. Again, from a weather standpoint and the fact that I don't have to describe to you what that campus is like and what the college experience is like. You could just go look at an old Playboy magazine and look at the lists of top party schools or Google it. Yeah. So Arizona, not going to school much. Enforcer, pledge master of my fraternity, ZBT. Oh, I was ZBT too. See that? There you go. We learned a lot just now. There you go. (laughs) I was ZBT at Alabama, the real UA. (laughs) <laughs> Jab intended. So I get it. I mean, there's definitely applicable life skill sets to performing well in real estate, like social, having fun, making sure that you're not uh, overachieving too much academically. Correct. You ended up in real estate somehow. I mean, was this straight out of college or what did you do while you were in school? That yeah. So what did I do? So I was a DJ and a nightclub promoter and not just at school, but back in New York City and the Hamptons. So for me, I was always very heavily involved in the nightclub scene, obviously in college. And then after college, New York City, Hamptons, Miami. So I was always running around with people who like to hang out at nightclubs and and the people who run the nightclubs, which are some of the most connected people in the world, right? So that's where I really started to think about what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And as I mentioned to you, I thought, like, by the way, I was not going to class because I basically thought I was going into my family business early on in school, right? Like, I, I figured at least I would start there and kind of figure it out. So I didn't have a, it wasn't like I needed to really focus on what I was going to kind of be when I grow up because I thought I'd graduate. I didn't know my mom would get sick, obviously, while I was in college, right? So I wasn't really thinking about it. What are you going to do for your career? Where are you going to be when you're 43, right? Which is where I'm at now. I was just thinking about graduating college, moving back home, going to work in some capacity with the family until I figured out where I wanted to actually grow my career. And there were a lot of different things that I had in mind at that point. I'm extremely creative. So marketing is something that's always come very naturally to me. And I have, by the way, a marketing company as well. I don't know if you're aware of that. 
and we created the website that we just launched for Saber. So I started out actually after college, I went into online advertising. So I was okay, living, cool. in, living in New York City, working in New York City. And what year is this roughly? What year is that? That's 1999. Doing online advertising in 1999. So Correct. total testament to your personality, seeing the future. Yeah, you know what? It was just, I didn't know much about the internet at that point, right? So, and I wanted to learn more. So that was like, I knew enough to go into that. Again, not something that I was looking to do the rest of my life, but something that I knew was a great opportunity that I would use in anything that I do moving forward. And again, I ended up in a sales role working for 24-7 Media, an online advertising company. And then the the, uh, dot-com bubble burst. Man, right? That was... 2000 and then 9-11 happened. And I actually was in New York City in my office on 32nd and Broadway. And I watched the planes fly into the Trade Center. That was a whole nother thing that kind of caused me to... It was actually that point. I'd already gone through the loss of my mother and 9-11 happens. And that's when I was like, you know what? I need to really think about what I want to do for the rest of my life. I'd always had an interest in real estate because to be honest with you, a lot of the people that I respected that were very successful were in the real estate business or owned real estate. So the minute that I quite honestly looked myself in the mirror and said, like, would my mother actually be proud of who I am right now? And am I living up to at all close to what I'm able to do in my life and the the legacy that I'm looking to create? And that's the moment that I went into real estate. That's nice that you had that epiphany. You can't just walk into real estate. Certainly, you had to schmooze or work your way. I mean, what happens? Yeah. So, I mean, once I decided I wanted to, to get into real estate, I met with every large commercial real estate company, many of the smaller kind of regional New York companies. And at that time, my sister was dealing with the, you know, I was dealing with the loss of my mother, obviously, still. My sister was, and she was just had broken off an engagement. So she was living alone. And I actually interviewed at a company uh, outside of the city on Long Island where I grew up. And I, after meeting with all these companies in the city and then meeting with this company on Long Island, I realized that it would be so much easier for me to become successful in a shorter period of time in a suburban market outside of New York City rather than competing with the best of the best in New York City. So I ended up taking a job in Garden City in this office building that I'm in right now. Oh, no way. So funny. Part of the story later on. Yeah, so I sat down with the owner of Breslin Realty, which is a, a prominent uh, firm that based in Garden City, New York. And it's referred to actually in the industry as Breslin University because a lot of folks in retail real estate in New York come out of Breslin. Oh, I didn't know that. Cool. So it's a, yeah, it's an interesting place. And I sat down with Ken Breslin and I told him about myself and whatnot. And he said, well, when can you start? I forgot what I said. Like, you know, I mean, I need two weeks, whatever. He said, okay, great. You know, we'll give you a desk and a phone and welcome aboard. And I was like, okay, we didn't discuss compensation. We didn't discuss... Like, I literally slid my resume over to him and he's like, yeah, I don't really need to look at that. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, I'm going to give you a desk and a phone and you eat what you kill. So best of luck. Perfect. So there you go. You're talking to it. All the people that you've interacted with, what made you know that that was the right or was that the only option? 
No, I had plenty of options, but again, the the dynamic of what I saw at the other larger firms in the city, I felt like I was going to be just getting coffee all day every day, right? Before I had real opportunity to grow within a big company. What I saw at Breslin based on the reputation was I was dealing with a lot of successful brokers, but they were substantially older than me. And there were no young people. So I saw that as a major advantage and I I ended up being right because I ended up becoming the top producer at the from starting from scratch with a desk and a phone to literally driving the market with index cards, trying to figure out how to get started in the business. And I, I'll show you these index cards. They're still in my top desk drawer. Nice. I, I went to every single shopping center in Long Island in my first four months in the business. Never saw a phone, never did anything other than drive every single shopping center. I'll pick a random card. And pick a card, any card. Here you go. I drew the shopping center on the back. He's got a TJ Maxx. TJ Maxx Center in Comac, New York. The south, the front is, this is not a good example of it, but the front is basically the real estate address, obviously, and then what corner of the intersection it's on who's the owner, who it's managed or leased by with their contact information. So I did every single property manually. And after that four months, I knew the entire my entire market inside out. Because when I showed up at the office, I realized I'm not selling anything tangible. I'm not selling widgets. So how the hell am I supposed to learn my inventory? How am I supposed to... When I got to my Toyota dealership, I learned every single vehicle inside out why a Camry is better suited for you than a Corolla or a Tundra or a Supra, right? So there was something for me to learn about what I was selling. Yeah. When I got into this business, I was like, okay, so what am I selling and how am I supposed to learn that? I decided the best way to do that was to go to every single primarily grocery anchored shopping center and figure out who owns or leases those shopping centers, call them, introduce myself, and start to get to know everybody in my market. So crazy question. You touched on it. And everybody who's, especially our, our younger listeners or listeners with less experience, I should say, in the business, knowing your market is prerequisite for success. And you obviously mastered that. But at the same time, you didn't make a call for four months. How did you eat? Correct. How did you pay your rent? And yeah. You- I, oh, well, I ended up starting to take a draw which is almost yeah. inevitable for somebody in the position that I was in at that, you know, very minimal. Like I said, I was living with my sister, so I didn't have rent, which was huge. She helped me out there. And then I was driving an inexpensive car and I really started at the bottom with very little overhead and, and expenses and took a draw, which I would always advise against if possible. Why is that? Because it starts to accrue. You're kind of always chasing your tail when you have that nut. It's inevitable. I mean, listen, I, I obviously it's Sabre. I have a lot of brokers and a lot of draws and a lot of history with draws. So the best way to do it, Aaron, to answer your question is if you're getting into this business, if you can learn the business for the first year while having another part-time job, so you're not actually going into debt, you're carrying yourself through the education, smartest thing you could possibly do. Mm-hmm. I mean, listen, on the flip side, though, I was still DJing. I was promoting clubs, share houses in the Hamptons. So I was still making money. It wasn't like I was 
just borrowing more money, like, oh, I need more money to live, let me borrow more. I always had another stream of income, but I didn't really have another job per se. So I would say it definitely makes sense though to to not go into debt too much when because you don't want that pressure. It's the only way that I think you can operate in the best interest of your client. Anytime that I've had an issue with brokers that work for me, it's been out of their own desperation. They're trying to put a square peg in a round hole by doing a deal that's not in the best interest of their client because they're desperate for the money. That horror story, I'm sure, is magnified in the Northeast and specifically New York just because of the cost of living and the high life that some people try to live. But you hear those stories across the country in my dealings too. And I, I, can't, I can't agree anymore with what you're saying. So going back to your original story and situation. So did you have like a mentor there? I mean, I know they gave you a desk and a phone and you went out and learned your markets. I mean, obviously, you come to that realization that that was something that you do you have some mentors or some other brokers who maybe had some more experience that were letting them team up on accounts? I mean, how did you really get going? Yeah, man. The short answer is no. I, you know, my first account, I found a few spaces that I thought were amazing vacancies. And I knew that if I focused on them, that I could probably make a deal on them. And then I obviously very difficult to not control one side of the deal, whether it's the space. Or the tenant. But I didn't know that. I didn't know that so much then, which is great because I was maybe a little ignorant, which played in my favor. But I focused on a space that was near a university at a prime end cap. And the leasing agent for the owner of the property was an interesting guy. He kind of gave me an opportunity a little bit. Like I was talking to him enough where he was like, Listen, bring me a deal, you know, bring me a tenant, bring because I didn't have any tenants per se to like actually bring to him. So I started to go cultivate a list and visit stores and so on and so forth and kind of pitch them his space. It wasn't even my space to pitch, but I'm pitching these tenants his space. Was there another third party broker leasing it? Yes, there was a a broker leasing the space. So you were doing somebody else's job at a different company for completely. Okay. But I was doing it to try to, to get tenants that I could work with. I always gravitated to the tenant side of the business, just so you know. Like I was always, I think it was always because I had the restaurant relationships, again, those restaurant nightclub relationships. So I always saw myself as leaning towards tenant representation. So I didn't care that he represented the space. I knew that if I focused on it, I could figure out how to get a tenant's interest to go into his space. And then ultimately, I'm representing the tenant, right? So that's how I looked at it. So long story short, I ended up meeting with just walking into a place called Beach Bum Tanning, which is like one of the bigger tanning salon chains in the area. And I met with the owner. I said, I wanted to talk to you about a property that I think would be great for you guys. And I brought in the other broker's flyer. Didn't know any better. What do I have to lose? And we're talking through it. And I explained to them that their existing best location was next to another university in a different county. And I explained, obviously, based on that, that in this market, I think they'd be able to do the same thing. Long story short, I was right. They did the deal and they crushed it. So that was my first experience in the business. From there, a couple other experiences like that. And again, I told you Breslin is well known in the area. So there was an opportunity for Starbucks Coffee actually was looking to replace their representation in the market. 
So my boss got a call that they were going to invite Breslin in to pitch the account. And one of the more senior people who very strong tenant rep broker. It's a crazy story. I, I was going to... We got to all right. I, I was going to crazy, but give us, give us the good yeah, story. Yeah, I'll give you... All right. It's, it's a good story though. So believe it or not, and this is the only time that, that I've had an interaction with somebody that knew my family as a result of my car dealership, somebody who worked at Breslin bought a car from my family, which was strange. And I guess not so strange, but at the same time, it was unique, but it, it actually caused that person to have some sort of rapport with me out of the gate because... He knew me as a kid because he was in the dealership. I happened to be there. He met me when I was like five, like crazy. So anyway, he has an opportunity to pitch the Starbucks account and sees me as no competition, right? But like able to assist him and invites me along on the pitch. Mind you, we go to Starbucks corporate office for the whole East Coast, which is based at the time, not in the head of it's based in Long Island, not far from this office. And uh, it's in Syosset, Long Island. And we, I have no clue what to expect, obviously. It's my first like major pitch. I prepare nothing. I just show up for the pitch in my suit and tie. I literally wore a suit and tie every single day in probably the first, man, the first 10 years in this business. And I show up, we sit down with the real estate manager for the area. He brings in the regional and then the East Coast comes in ultimately. And it becomes a very intense, like there was no oxygen in this room. They were very intimidating. And the gentleman that I was with completely cracked under pressure. I mean, could not get a word out edgewise, literally. They would ask him normal, like simple questions that he could not even answer. So I literally had to step in and say like, if I may, and this is where, by the way, like the personality and the spending the months of driving the market, learning about the company that I work for, I spent so much time on those things that I was able to at least deliver a very good, compelling pitch as to why they should hire Breslin. I wasn't telling them to hire me. I was just saying that Breslin's right for the job and why. Leave, walk into the parking lot. I turn to the guy. I won't mention his name. And I turn to the guy. I'm like, man, like I don't think I'm ever going to actually be in this business as a result of how terribly that went. And they're like one of the biggest companies around. So thank you for inviting me and like crushing my career. So we get back and my boss, Ken Breslin, calls us into his office. Hey, how'd everything go? Like it was terrible. And I explain exactly what happened. And he goes, well, listen, I got good news and bad news. I'm like, really? There's good news? Like I'm thinking bad news and bad news. He's like, yeah, I got a call from them. And -and so-and-so, you did terribly. They never want to see your face again. But Jay, they were very impressed by you and they want to line you up with another senior, the best tenant rep broker in the shop at the time. And uh, they want you guys to come back in. This woman who's since passed, who actually transitioned over to Sabre when I started the company, God bless her soul. She didn't want the account herself. She worked on big box stuff, but she gave me the opportunity to go back in. And we went in and we nailed the pitch. They offered us the account. She said, Jay, I want nothing to do with it, but I'll act as if I'm involved in the account for as long as you can kind of get your feet under you, and, but it's on you. And from that point on, you know, I literally, that's when I started working. I would be in the office on a typical night till at least about midnight or so from there on. 
finding sites for Starbucks, which is brain damage. I mean, look, it's a sexy account. Every tenor red broker across the country wants them today, even the big box guys. It's hard, to, it's hard to fathom that story. But back in the mid-2000s, everybody was cutting these big box deals and that's where the real fees were. But yeah, anybody would Well, take no, it. I mean, somebody... Listen, I think that if you're at a certain place in your life and you're doing X number of deals that are all over 35,000 square feet and up, it's the same energy, if not more. There's a two-year timeline on, on most Starbucks deals. So I'm not surprised that somebody of her caliber did not want the account. Again, it's a lot of work. There's no doubt, but it leads to other things. But she was so at the top of the game where you know, to her... She was sort of your good luck charm because you had put in the work, but at the end of the day, you still had to have a, whole, a few things carried away. I mean, they were never awarding that account to just you. That's correct. Yeah, for but sure. She came in and kind of stuck her neck out there knowing that well, with her putting up the confidence in you to kind of do the backend execution was instrumental in your career itself. Yeah, but she would also... So first of all, I want to shout out Dan Shallot at Starbucks because really he's the one who gave me the opportunity because he saw through that very quickly and knew that I had the potential to actually make it work. Not only did I make it work, I crushed the account and... We still represent Starbucks exclusively. So I've done, I don't know, it's 16 years later, hundreds of deals at this point. And in many markets, the territory expanded. And Dan was somebody who was, I think, just in awe of my drive. And I just overachieved on every level because don't forget, Aaron, I didn't have the golden parachute, well, like a lot of people in this industry, by the way. So when my mom passed away, my dad left got remarried, moved to Florida. Like I went from having that great childhood, never wanting for anything, to being on my own literally overnight. So at that point, I had no choice but to succeed. And that's why I say, in some ways, real estate found me. Because again, if I didn't lose my mother, I wouldn't have been so pressed to grow up at such a young age and focus so much on my career as early as I did. Got it. So you're in, you started with Breslin in 2002-ish? 2000, end of 2000. Got it. I got the Starbucks account in 2000, end of two. But 9-11, you were with the ad agency, no? Yeah, when was 9-11? 01? Yeah. Yeah, so I started, you know what? I, I went to Breslin at the end of 2000, went to the New York ICSE with them in the end of 2000, and then started right after 9-11. So whenever... Got it. Got it, got it, got it. Cool. And then you picked up the Starbucks account within a year, basically being in the business? 2003. Got it. Okay, so a couple of years in. Yeah. Certainly, look, the Starbucks thing is inspirational because you picked them up so early on in your career. And that's an incredible break. But look, I know you. You go all in. You've got to have a good, embarrassing story from going all in in the wrong direction here for us from that first gig. Man, it's funny because I'm only wired to focus on wins. I have so many losses that I'm just never discouraged because the minute you just brought up, well, Starbucks, that's awesome. That's great. I was about to say, yeah, but it gets so much better because from there, I realized what I'm capable of and I learned tenant representation from what I would argue the best tenant on the planet at the time, at a minimum, and still today, right? So I learned the ins and outs of how to be an amazing tenant rep broker. So from there, I took my show on the road. I'm visiting college buddies in, in LA, and I'm working out of a Kinko's at the time. And I'm looking across the street, and I see this really interesting storefront. 
And I literally leave all my crap on the desk and walk across La Cienega Boulevard. And I walk into the first Chipotle that I've ever seen in my life. From that moment on, dude, I was obsessed to bring Chipotle to New York. And I did. That's amazing. I love that. Love that. So who were some of the other tenants that you were picking up in the early days? From there, it was Starbucks and Chipotle were my bread and butter for obvious reason. And then I ended up designing the strategy for Chipotle to enter the market. I executed the strategy. My next chapter was I became the top producer of Breslin at a very young age, which to me meant I needed to move on. What, what age was that? I was the top producer in 2005. Okay. So I'm 43. So what the hell age was I in 2005? Yeah, good job. Yeah, so at 28. And then along the way, obviously with these accounts, I started to establish a name for myself locally. So other companies were starting to you know, knock on my door and see if I'd have interest in joining them. The most serious was CBRE. So CB started to throw some pretty intriguing offers at me. And mind you, I'm at Breslin, no health insurance, 1099, eating what I kill, You know, regardless of the fact that I'm starting to actually do really well. I didn't have the simple things. I was, by the way, I, it's not like I went out and got health insurance on my own. I just had no health insurance. I just winged everything at that stage. Long story short, the CB starts pursuing me pretty aggressively, having conversation. And mind you, I'm, I'm not looking to go anywhere. I'm having a great time doing what I'm doing. And they start putting offers in front of me with lots of zeros, signing bonus, the whole nine yards, pretty substantial title. And they offer me. I'm wondering if I'm allowed to even say the numbers. But yeah, you can. Absolutely. I'm sure I can, but I'll refrain. So I'll tell you the story. So after probably like six meetings with Allison Lewis, love Allison. She's at Newmark now. She was recruiting me. And we get to like the fifth or sixth meeting and I've already told her what I'm doing and everything else, obviously, inside out. And she goes, we'd like to present this to you. And mind you, you know, again, I have no health and, you know, so like anything you're presenting me is a pretty good deal, right? So a signing bonus, I'll say a six-figure signing bonus, right? And substantially higher than 100,000, right? So I'm like, I keep my poker face on. I'm very happy with what I see. Mm -hmm. And I turn to her and I'm like, you really expect me to potentially walk from these accounts for this type of money? It'll never happen. I'm like, you're wasting my time. If you double this offer, I'll think about it. She goes, are you serious? I said, I'm dead serious. I said, we're literally wasting like both of our time here. I said, if you'll double it, I'll actually consider it, seriously consider it. She goes, well, then I have to set up a meeting with Marianne Tsai, the president or CEO at the time of CBRE. I said, well, I'm available, set the meeting up. So she ends up setting up a meeting for me and Marianne Tsai, who's like, Amazing, obviously, one of the most successful people in commercial real estate. And another interesting story for another time. Long story short, I sit with Marianne, tell her everything and what I had asked for. And she said, Jay, I'd like to offer it to you. I said, I don't want to be rude, but can I think about it? Because the reality was that none of it was real until Marianne Ty actually approved that offer to me. And that's when the moment occurred to me that I'd have to tell my boss, but somebody I was becoming very close to, that I'd be leaving. So that's around the holiday time in 2006, 
and Ken Breslin gets back from his family vacation and I walk into his office to tell him that I'm leaving the CBRE. He looks at me in shock and awe and says, you have to tell me what they offered you. And I told him exactly what they offered me. He's like, you got to go. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> that's, a, that's a testament to his character. Oh, dude, we'll get there, but you know, he's yeah, my business. Yeah, save the details. I, yeah, I think. so I learned from a very young age never to burn bridges. And dude, I have such confidence in my abilities to do what I do that I said, listen, Kenny, don't worry about it. I'm leaving the Starbucks and Chipotle account with you guys, not taking anything. Fortunately, CBRE gave me enough that I'm not desperate. I can go start from scratch over there and get some new accounts to work on. So yeah, I would never take the business with me and respect every opportunity that you gave me. And so just so we're clear, your whole ten of red books stayed. So you were basically written a check to start from scratch, but CBRE was probably inclined to give you some of those good leads that they get on a national basis. Is that the understanding? I mean, is that about the... That's the understanding. You walked in, but they kind of said, hey, look, there's some good stuff that comes to the door here. Yeah, I mean, Aaron, I'm somebody... The Starbucks account is probably the last time that like I had an opportunity that someone was like, hey, by the way, come to this pitch with, you know... So even through my years at CB, like I've always gone out and gotten my own accounts, which is why I do what I do. Like, which is why I give everybody the world the secrets to my success because the plan doesn't matter. It's the fucking action behind the plan. Like most people that I've met in this industry, they can't go out and just get their own tenant rep assignments. Or how many brokers? And this is a great. This is a great side path for a second because. Like I have a real estate license, but I'm not really a broker. Like I'm not a broker. And you'd be amazed how many people ask me how to get tenant rep accounts. Yeah. It's not I easy. question all the time and I give them the best ideas that I can offer up. So I'm going to leave it to a mastermind himself. Tell us. How do you yeah. pick up tenant rep accounts on your own? It's simple. You do the work before you even get the assignment, right? So any meeting that I would show up to, I would have the entire strategy completed, done, in a very nice presentation and hand it over to them for free, whether they hired me or not. And how did you get the meeting? Persistence. Persistence. Um, Here's an example of that. or Because or, I know you... Like uh, to- yeah, they, so actually, it's the perfect segue into starting at CB in January 2007 before the wheels fall off. Oh, what a great time to go to a new shop. With no accounts, right? Yeah, no, by the way, time. it was the best time to go to a new shop because I had a salary, expense account, my car was paid for, health insurance for the first time. Dude, it was Christmas every day. Are you kidding me? So I get there and mind you, the first week I stumble across Massage Envy. I don't know exactly how, but I always traveled the country a lot. They're an Arizona company, I believe. So maybe it had something to do with Arizona. Why did you travel the country? Was it to visit buddies? Was it somewhere? Yeah, buddies. Just hanging out on the party scene and visiting friends from college. Perfect. So I call Massage Envy Corporate on the Friday of the first week that I started at CB. And they give me the number to the area developer that owns New York. Call his cell phone. He answers the phone. I tell him who I am, that I'd like to schedule a time to meet with him when he's in town, et cetera, et cetera. Another, hey, I got good news and bad news. Oh, that's great. The good news is that I'm heading into town this weekend. The bad news is that I'm touring with your competitor on Monday. So I said, interesting. 
And I started to talk about, obviously, Starbucks, Chipotle, the yeah, things high impact, 25, 3,000 square foot players. Exactly. The stuff that I had done, right? And talk about the track record that I had built and the good work that we had done for those brands. And I said, you know, when are you getting into town exactly? He said, I fly in Sunday morning. I said, I'll pick you up at the airport. We'll tour Sunday then, right? Like as if he couldn't say no. He's like, yeah, I guess I could do that. I'm like, listen, no pressure whatsoever. I'm just going to tour you in every market and I can guarantee I'm going to do a better job than anybody that you're touring with. So at least take the tour. You can make the decision. He's like, you know what? That's not a bad idea. So picked him up at the airport Sunday morning, had a killer tour. Again, I know my market inside out, man. So if you're in the car with me, touring my market with me, you're hiring me. So needless to say, he never made it to the tour on Monday. He canceled his meeting. He canceled his meeting. What's crazy about that story is what that led to from there is insane. So the gentleman's name is Jerome Kern. He owned five states for Massage Envy. He was a big area developer. Yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah. So, And it's funny because an email just popped up on my screen about the company that he ends up starting from scratch. So mind you, we have a great run with Massage Envy. And I'm helping him really with the franchise process and helping him, connecting him with people in the market because he's not from New York. So I'm also helping him on the franchise side, helping him sell licenses and just making introductions. From there, it's got to be probably two years maybe down the road after we're working together. He's like, you know what? Next time you're in Florida, because I'm in Florida all the time, as you know, he says... I got something to show you. So I meet with him in Florida and he shows me the first European wax center. So Jerome and his partner, Dave Long, end up partnering with the Cobra brothers to franchise European wax center because these guys are not just area developers. They're like franchise development guys. So they you know, are asking me my thoughts on the concept and whatnot. And it was kind of the after Massage Envy, one of the first other concepts that I had seen that was in like the health and beauty segment that was the decomposition of the salon, right? So I told him I thought it was absolutely amazing, especially considering most people I know get waxed in like the back of dirty nail salons. Like what an amazing idea to kind of make it clean and sterile, right? So they end up franchising, partnering with the Cobra Brothers who founded European Wax Center, selling hundreds of franchise licenses pretty fast. From there, I'm touring with Jerome and his wife, April, in New York City looking for Massage Envy locations. And April keeps saying to us, I'm telling you that my workout class, there's really something there. It's Ellen's ultimate workout in Florida and so on and so forth. I keep telling her about you, Jerome, that you're in franchising. This would be a great concept to franchise. Jerome and I just keep laughing about the name Ellen's ultimate workout. We can't like see how that could possibly be a good thing to franchise. Get a phone call, who knows? A year later from Jerome, you know, hey, dude, you got to come down to Florida, check out what I've been working on. Go down to Florida, work out at his new concept, Orange Theory Fitness. So I got in at the ground floor of European Wax Center. And that's when I started to expand my geography, right? By meeting Jerome, Massage Envy now in five states, European Wax Center nationally, and then Orange Theory Fitness. I got in at unit one. And so were you doing master brokerage for these brands or what what was your scope, high level life of each of these brands? Yeah. So at the time, I didn't really do master brokerage. At CB, I kind of 
first off, Starbucks, another thing that was amazing about Starbucks was the Starbucks broker network across the country. If you're representing Starbucks, you're probably pretty decent at doing... They ask a lot of their brokers. Well-known thing, obviously. So, uh, And then Chipotle, the same thing, right? So I had the Starbucks Chipotle network of folks across the US from all the broker summits that I'd been to. That's how I started to build my national platform. It was all relationship-driven. And big part of me going to CB, I told them from the beginning of our discussions that I would only work with best-in-class brokers for each particular assignment on a move-forward basis. So it would only be CB if CB was, in fact, the best or near the best, right? They allowed that. I'm glad you said that because I have a lot of friends at CB. And I know a lot of people at CB across the country. Yep. And you'll get these stories on their tenants and you're not best in class in that market. Sorry, like that's how it is. And I have friends yeah. that are best in class in CB in different markets. And it's, you'd be amazed because I, I was coming back to what we talked about before. I'll have friends in the business that aren't with CB say, how does so-and-so get these accounts? And oftentimes that's the answer, the golden parachute, as you call it. So I give you a lot of credit for standing up to your name and reputation to a point where you told your employer who was writing you a six-figure check to come over and pay for all these things to stick to your guns and say, look, got a national reach. You know that. It's part of the reason why you're hiring me. This is not an automatic thing for CV. And if it is, then I don't know if this will work. I see it and I appreciate that. So, Yeah, listen, I appreciate that because you're only as good as your reputation. And, And if I'm making an introduction to a client, even when really desperate to pay my rent, like most people are starting out in this business or a lot of people are, I always was only interested in doing the right thing and operating in the best interest of the client. And that's how I've gotten where I am. Anybody in the industry knows, or at least people that know that I've worked with, know I kill more deals than I make. Like I'm known for getting people out of trouble and helping them unwind bad decisions, bad advice, bad guidance that they've gotten along the way. And I'm going to tell you straight up, if you should or shouldn't do a deal, I'm not motivated by the fee. And I always believed that money doesn't lead, it follows. When you do the right thing and you operate accordingly, it's going to pay off tenfold. The people who are so focused on the deal because of the fee are the ones who never get to a different level of success, in my opinion. Well, I agree with your opinion. It really so, is I like that. Yes. So I wouldn't have considered myself at the time a master broker because I wasn't really the single point of contact, the only point of contact. It was more, where do you need to go? I can help you with a referral agent type thing. And I'd refer the business out, but I wouldn't stay involved for the most part, right? So you did the so, work through European Wax and... Those concepts, I was always working in their territories. Their yeah, I mean, you, did those, you were yeah. able to bring those concepts to New York. Correct. Yep. Awesome. All of them. Where are we in time right now? So I started at CBRE in 2007. Yep. So 2007, 8, 9 is like Massage Envy and then overlapping with European Wax Center. And then 2010 is Orange Theory. Yeah. By the way, I ended up terminating my agreement a year early with CB, paying them to get out to start Sabre. Got it. At the end of 2010. Got it. So you made it three years at, at CBRE. What really... Four, four years. I apologize. Yeah. What really triggered that? Was it your desire to get out of CB and do it your own way? Did you always know that you were going to go out on your own? And what? Yeah. So I mean, 
what truly happened was I couldn't operate in the CB machine. I don't think that their company's built to be a very good retail broker or advisor. It's office driven. So once I got there, it was like everything was office driven. So if I had to fill something out on the portal, it was like, how many floors is the property? So none of it made sense to me. And then there was nothing but red tape as far as getting signs up, negotiating exclusive agreements. Those processes that I was used to getting done in a 24-hour period at a smaller boutique firm that focused solely on retail or based primarily on retail to that huge company that focuses on everything and office is by far the primary what they focus most on. I just realized that it was a short-term thing for me and that it was counterproductive to me and it slowed me down so much and it drove me nuts. So I knew the minute that the downturn of 08 was coming out that I would do something else. I set out to look at all other companies and spoke to every company out there. And quite honestly, not to pat myself on the back, but they all wanted to have me. Why wouldn't they, right? So I'm producing... Studying good looks, of course. It was the good looks, but I'm making a lot of deals, right? So what company doesn't want somebody who's making a lot of deals? So I realized pretty quickly that there was no company out there that fit me, that suited me. And again, this was when I was like starting to just want to become more myself. And I would show up at CB in like jeans, shoes, white button-down shirt tucked in and like just roll into the office and I'd get heat for it every day. Like, where's your suit? Where's your suit? I'm like, listen, I'm in retail. I'm site touring these companies. They laugh at me if I'm in a suit. The people at the company, they don't want me in a suit. They want to feel like I'm one of them. And CB just didn't get it. It was the culture. So I ended up kind of after looking at all my options, I realized there was no option but to create my own option. Because if I felt that way, there had to be other people in the industry that felt that way as well. Okay. Keep going. So this is 2010. Yep. Saber does stand for something. And there's some things happened there that I think everybody's at the edge of their seat to want to hear. Yeah. So I end up calling my former boss, Ken Breslin, and telling him that I'm going to be leaving and I'm looking to start my own thing. We go out to lunch to talk about it. And he has a brokerage business that is one of the dominant companies in our backyard. And he's like, listen, like, I got to be honest with you. I'm really happy with where our company is, what we do. I don't necessarily need to do anything else. I wish you nothing but the best. And I turned to him dead honest. And I said, Kenny, I love you. You've been like family to me. And I just have to tell you that I personally represent more tenants than your whole company right now. And when I go out and do my own thing, it's not going to be as friendly because I need to succeed. So if I'm pitching against you, just understand it means a lot more to me now than it did when I was at CB because this is my name now. So he understood that and it wasn't a threat. I wanted him to realize that chances are if I set out to do something, it's going to be probably big. Right. So he calls me up a couple of days later and he's like, you know what? Let's have a follow up meeting. In that meeting, we literally structure something on the back of a napkin. And I gave my notice to leave and pay CBRE for the unamortized portion of my signing bonus and bounce and start Sabre, which stands for Siano and Breslin Real Estate. 
And so it was Kenny's idea to structure the deal. He came to that conclusion himself. Basically, if I'm understanding you correctly, he, when after your lunch meeting, he was the one who kind of marinated on it and said, hey, let's form something. No, no, we, we structured it together. But after marinating on it, he thought it was probably a very good thing for the future of his company. Got it. He turned out that he's not upset he made the decision, put it that way. So let's get into the fun part. I mean, what? So this is 2010, you launch your own thing and with Kenny, of course. You guys are assumed 50 50 partners or whatever it may be, and, and yep. you're off and running. Yes. The agreement was that he dissolves his brokerage business, I leave CB. We come together, basically create a new thing from scratch. I think the market needed something new. I always said when we started the company that we were built for the new world. I mean, now fast forward today to almost 10 years later, little did I know what the hell that would actually mean today. But as you know, Aaron, like along the way, I've innovated quite a bit and incorporated a digital marketing company into Sabre and created a company that lives at the intersection of commercial real estate and digital media. And when I started vlogging four years ago, most of the industry was making fun of me while I was feeling like I was Jeff Bezos back in his garage with that scribbled Amazon sign that you always see on the wall. And I felt like the more people that didn't understand what I was doing, the better off I was. And actually, as people started to come around and instead of making fun of me and what we were doing, the less exciting it got, honestly. Like, it, you know, it became kind of like, oh shit, they kind of get it now. And not only do they kind of get it now, maybe they'll actually start doing it. I feel like I was so in my own lane four years ago. I honestly still feel like I'm in my own lane because this industry is not innovative. Nope. And, you know, it's also interesting because, again, being 43 years old, I have the 20 years of thousands of deals and millions of square feet leased. Personally, forget my company, me. And I also have the genuine interest in social media and digital marketing. And now you understand that I had a job in digital marketing many, 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 many years ago. That's Uh, why we ask about people's history on this show. It all comes back to make some sense. It's cool though, because it also actually reminds me of like stuff that I don't really think about much. It's cool for me also to see how everything kind of came together and created this really unique thing, I think, that we have going on at Sabre. Do you have weaknesses? I mean, are you just like Mr. Iron Man out there? No, man, I definitely have weaknesses. I've spent the last two years working very much on myself, just personal development. And I have lots of weaknesses. I used to drink too much, got me through the loss of my mother. And I got to be honest, I mean, again, the path that I've chosen is not an easy path. To be a successful real estate broker isn't easy. Now, to be a successful real estate brokerage company that you're starting from scratch, also not very easy. But of course, knowing me, I can't just be the best in like this little area in New York. I got to be the best in the whole country. So that's a whole different level of pressure that I put on myself. By the way, I will say, if I decided to shut up shop right now, I got further than I really thought I would. So I could die happy. So it's interesting because you kind of get to a place in life where you're just like, wow, I actually did it. And a lot of the drive behind doing and creating Sabre was to see if I actually could. Because a lot of people early on were telling me I was nuts and that I couldn't. 
And you owe them a huge thank you, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Keep so, telling me that I can't. That's is, that, is that your purpose every day? Do you feel like that your pursuit of becoming the best, of say we're becoming the best retail real estate brokerage shop in the country, is that your why for the company? Like that's what gets you excited every day? No, it's not. It's the why for the company and my why is to create better people, better businesses, and better neighborhoods. That's my why. Which is also, when you asked if I have weaknesses, I definitely do. And I genuinely, and this sounds cheesy and cliche, I genuinely want to be a better person today than I was yesterday. For myself first, for my family, for everybody around me, because I want everybody to also have the opportunity to be better than they were yesterday. And I personally only focus on specific accounts and clients. I don't work on everything. I've gotten to a point in my career and in you the business and run the and you just can't. It's too much. Exactly. But I also need to, like, I really need to, my morals, ethics, things need to be aligned with my clients so I can actually execute at a very high level because I need to be pulled by something, not pushed. So that's my why. I, again, feel super blessed to be able to work with. Dude, I was sitting with Steve Ells, the oh, founder of Chipotle, yeah, no, designing the strategy for New York at a very early age or a young age in the career. And then with Dave Long and Jerome Kern, Orange Theory Fitness, now Ann Malum, SolidCore. Like, I've literally been right next to some of the most interesting and successful people of my time, right up in there. And Starbucks all the way up to just under Howard, never with Howard, but all the way up the food chain. And that to me is shit, man. That's crazy. That's what gets your juices flowing. That's what the best, that's what gets the, the goosebumps up. For sure. And then listen, at Sabre though, I will tell you that when we're announcing tomorrow, somebody who's joining the company, when somebody that I know in business, that's in the business longer than me, that I looked up to in the business, and comes and joins the company that I created, wow, that blows me away. So what does Saber look like today? How many brokers do you have? What's the team size? I've streamlined. 2019, I saw the downturn happening in 2020. In the same way that I timed my transition, I saw a downturn happening, which is why I had no problem walking from Starbucks and Chipotle. Little side note, Starbucks killed every single deal up until like my last deal that was worked on for several years after I left to CB. They killed that entire portfolio. And the Breslin team that was working on it lost every single deal up until mine. So I've always had... I will credit myself with having a good gut for the market and the timing of the market. So we were like 50 people in 2018. And I'm like, this is way too big, like way too many personalities, way too, way too, way too. I want quality over quantity. I streamlined the company, literally stood up in front of the whole company at the beginning of 2019 and said, guys, this year will be called Lean and Mean in 19. And if you're not executing at a high level, you're gone. And just understand that going into it, no hard feelings, but I need to be surrounded by winners. And from there, really trimmed up a lot in 19. Thank God. We're from 50 to what? 50 people to probably 30 people. And you can't tell me you predicted COVID. 
No, man, I didn't. Listen, go back every single week of my life is documented on video, bro. Go back to episode 100 and watch it right around 19 minutes. And then call me later. Really? Oh, yeah, it's all documented, dude. I love it. Of course. So what made you predict a global pandemic leading to a recession? I didn't predict a global pandemic. I predicted that there would be a major disruption in the commercial real estate world in the next 12 to 18 months. The pandemic happened 15 months from that fucking date. Nice. So it's out there. You can see it. You have to watch this. Obviously. Well, now you have to give us the name of the vlog. Everybody's going to got to go look it up now. What, I'll give it to you right now. Yeah, let's just give our guys the name so everybody can listen to it. Yeah, so at the time, it was the last episode of my first vlog, which was called Real Saber. So it's episode 100 of Real Saber. Watch that vlog through start to finish. And also on my new website, if you go to Future Built in the new website, it has like five pretty key vlog episodes in there. Then episode 100's in there. Just look for episode 100 or go to the Saber YouTube channel. And episode 100 is like probably the most viewed episode we ever had. You got to check that out, dude. It's pretty crazy. I might have to do that. The wizard himself. I'm taking, we're going to have to be up in Vegas and go play uh, some games together next year. I wouldn't ride that hard on it, but yeah, it was pretty crazy. That's awesome. By the way, I mean, listen, it's an election year. The world had been going way too well. It was a very long cycle. For sure. This is not rocket science. Again, I did not predict the pandemic, and I didn't think the world would come to an end, and that everything would shut down for who knows how long in New York at this point. But I did know there was going to be a major disruption. And by the way, like people who actually work really hard and do the right thing, get ahead in the downturns. I totally agree with that. We can relate to that too. And say, you know, obviously, I don't have nearly the organization that you have. You're certainly an inspiration from that perspective. But we're seeing opportunities where it's kind of our, our turn to sort of put our money where our mouth's been. I've always said, next recession, I'm going to come in and buy all this stuff up. Well, I got to do it now or else I'm a big, uh, I'm a big talker. No, nothing to want. You do, that. buddy. Let's go. So... Tell me, what's the craziest deal you've ever worked on? Dude, the craziest deal I've ever worked on... Oh my God, I don't even know. There's so many crazy deals. I don't know. I I like multiple transactions on one property, like selling a building to somebody. I had an interesting sale of a property, then put in a tenant that took the whole property. And then Starbucks actually wanted to be there also. And Starbucks was mad at me that I actually didn't put them on the end cap of this property. So I negotiated with the tenant that took the whole property to downsize and sublease a portion of Starbucks. So that was an interesting kind of three deals in one. That's a hat trick. Definitely not the craziest deal, but a creative one. Cool. I like that. That'll suffice for sure. What advice do you have for someone either trying to get into the business or someone who's been in the business for less than a couple of years? Somebody getting into the business just understand that you only get out what you put in. And this is not an easy industry. So you have to be very self-motivated and aggressively patient. For somebody who's in the business for a while, my advice is understand that if you're not future-proofing yourself... By the way, episode 101, when I transitioned from Real Saber, I changed the title of the vlog to Future Proof. I interview Ryan Surhan, episode 101 and talk about the future of 
traditional real estate brokerage and personal branding in business and things of that nature. So my advice is if you're not branding yourself, especially for somebody who does not own the company that they work for, you are behind the eight ball and you need to do that. And this world is going to continue to change and evolve. And if you're not using digital marketing and social media, you're fucking invisible. And I was on Ask Gary V. And that's also on the website where I advised earlier the episode of Ask Gary V when I ask him how I can get my agents at my company more active on social media. And his response, it was him and Ryan Surhan, actually. Their response is amazing. And to people who are in this business, not using these platforms, you'll be out of business very soon if you don't start using them now. Some good adamant advice from someone who is walking the walk along with talking the talk. So your reader, what's the one book that's changed your life? I mean, I like Outliers had a major impact on me. Yeah, anything Malcolm Gladwell. I am a reader. I read all different types of stuff. Primarily business books and you know anything that I'm like interested in and learning more about, I'll dive into. But yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a such thing as a bad Malcolm Gladwell book. I would agree with that. I've read a couple and totally agree. Yeah, I've read them all. Okay, last question. Yes, sir. So this one, if you've listened to other episodes, you probably know it's coming. But even I think with knowing it's coming, it's always a difficult question to answer. At some point, you're not going to be in this business anymore by the inevitable, you know, death or retirement, or you may change your mind and want to go be a YouTube star. I don't know. Really, I would nothing would surprise me. <laughs> when you do leave the business, which is absolutely inevitable, ICSC is going to write little shopping centers today. We email whatever technology we're using to consume content. Saber CEO and co-founder JC Otto is retired or decided to move on wherever it is. What do you want that article to say? What do you want your legacy to be like? In our business. I want my legacy to be about helping other people. I spend a lot of time on the phone with people or even engaging on social media or email, helping younger people and other people in the industry and beyond, by the way, people that are not even necessarily in the industry. So for me, I would say I also think that I'm quite a bit of an innovator. And I think that there's a ripple effect to that. So I think that, again, based on my heavy use of social media for such a long time now in the industry, I think that my fingerprint is on the new way of doing business in our industry. So something to that effect, but really impact is the biggest word to me, right? So whether it be on the different companies that I brought to different areas of the country or to the different people that I've helped out along the way and help be better. Amazing. Great answer. I don't think that you are deviating from that path. Your actions are speaking louder than your words. I say that on behalf of anybody who's ever followed you in our business. And I'm sure that that expansion will continue. And I'm honored to know and be able to say, Hey, I know that guy along the way. And I can't tell you how proud and excited I am for you for the successes that Saber's having. And obviously, as you well know, and I'll say it with a few people that decide to listen to this based on my limited following compared to yours, that if there's anything I can ever do to help in any way, it would certainly be my honor to do so as I speak for all of our listeners. We we cannot tell you how much we appreciate you carving out the time and sharing your unique and 
no apologies necessary story because you were exactly who you say you are. And I love that about you. So thank you. Dude, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And dude, you're a real sincere guy. And in the short amount of time that we've gotten to know each other, I'm very impressed with what you're doing. And don't diminish it because it's big, man. And I wish that I was doing a lot of the things that you're doing at your age. You're going to really continue to make a major impact on this industry. So I'll be excited to watch from near, not from afar. Amen, brother. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for yeah, your Of course, man. Be well. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Limitless, How to Crush It in Commercial Real Estate. I hope you were able to extract one piece of value out of today's episode. That's my only goal. If you did, in fact, get some value out of it, let me know via LinkedIn, Instagram, or through a review wherever you get your podcasts. 